Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Van Room Podcast. My name is Dylan Maddox, and I am so happy to be back with you. Not only am I happy to be back with you, but I am super excited to share a spectacular season number two with you. As I mentioned last season, we are switched officially to an interview format for this podcast, interspersed with a few topical episodes talking about everything from repertoire selection, rehearsal planning, even fostering focus in your students. If that's not enough, I'll be bringing you some of my favorite people, composers, conductors, educators. Sometimes these people are all three, but in general, these are all people that I greatly admire. And this season, those people are composer Kate Nishimara, director of wind ensembles at Arizona State University, Dr. Jason Kassler, award-winning music educator, adjudicator, clinician, and lecturer at Western University's Don Wright Faculty of Music, Mrs. Linda Wharton, professor of music at Acadia University, where he conducts the Acadia Wind Ensemble, among a long list of other things he does, Dr. Mark Hopkins, award-winning music educator, adjudicator, clinician, and chair of the Concert Band Division of Music Fest Canada, Mrs. Sharon Fitzsimmons, and last but not least, one of my favorite people, composer, conductor, Mr. Jonathan Dejeuner. Whew, what a serious list of people. So I hope you enjoy listening to our conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. But before we get to our first guest of the season, please do me a huge favor and head over to iTunes or whatever podcast app you use and give the Bandroom Podcast a rating or even a review. This really helps get the word out. And now, on to our first guest. I met today's guest in 2017 when I was putting together an all-star wind ensemble comprised of University of Toronto alumni for a featured concert at Music Fest Canada, that is the National Band Festival in Canada. We were on the hunt for a bass clarinet, the elusive bass clarinet, so my mentor, Dr. Julian McKay, recommended that I get in touch with Kate Nishimara. However, you might know her as composer Kate Nishimara. From our first meeting, I knew that this is a friend and colleague that I would have for life. And it is always a treat to talk to Kate. Her positivity is infectious, and hearing her talk about why she does what she does is truly inspirational. So I hope you enjoy my interview with Kate Nishimara. We are caffeinated. I'm sitting here with the most wonderful Kate Nishimara. So welcome to the band room, Thank Kate. You. And although today uh, we are not actually in a band room, nor are we ever really, but um, today we are coming to you from the University of Toronto and the from the office of Tyler Greenleaf. Thank you, Tyler and U of T, for lending us the space. And uh, I guess we'll just jump right in. Um, so, Kate, where were you born? I was born in Scarborough, Ontario, though I have no memory of that, um, and then moved to Aurora when I was two years old, I believe, and grew up there, then uh, then moved downtown Toronto to attend this lovely institution oh, man. 10 oh, years man. ago. Yeah. Wow. Aurora. Aurora. Okay. There's something in the, in the water in Aurora. 
There's Sounded many fine Aurora. musicians that come from Aurora, believe it or not. I know, I know. It's a good place to yeah. grow up. Yeah. And were you musical right off the bat? Were you hitting pots and pans? Did you have a piano? Um, we didn't have a piano right away, but at some point while I was a child, we acquired a piano. I think it belonged to a family member who wasn't using it. And I definitely was musical right off the bat. I think there are home videos of me singing about various things. And I remember you know, really wanting to play the piano and asking my parents for piano lessons. It was not the kind of scenario where I was forced into it by any right. means. It was always coming from my desire to want to do things. Um, and I loved singing at school, even though I was really shy. So definitely, definitely wanted to do music. Okay, yeah. so we need to make it our mission to find these videos. <laughs> I'll, no, I, no, maybe not. They'll be worth something someday. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. But you did bring up a, a really great point, and I'm and I'm I am, I do not have children, but uh, but this whole because uh, the same thing happened with me where I was not pushed to go into music, mm-hmm. and it's really a wonderful thing, kind of just to let let that the the child kind of stretch and make their own choices yeah yeah. and maybe who knows maybe we'll stay longer i don't know i don't know but maybe but we're both still in it (laughs) and we're so old no we're not but but yeah okay so so you were you were tinkling the the ivory so to speak Mm -hmm. and all that and uh when was it that you were you singing like elementary choir and things i think so yeah and i i had some sort of um like child DJ system type of a thing while I was a kid where you could, um, yeah, you could make sounds into it and you could, um, you know, replay different things. And there were a bunch of buttons and they all lit up. And I remember like playing with that a lot, um, and inventing my own combinations of sounds and things like that. Um, again, probably on video somewhere. (laughs) Man, I gotta get these. I gotta get these. DJ (laughs) Kate. At five years old. Um, yeah, and I mean, in my elementary school, it wasn't a super strong music program. Um, there was a choir, there were plays or sometimes musicals going on. Um, I was way too shy to be part of any of that at the time, which is hilarious to me now as a quite outgoing, right. confident person who tries things. Um, as a kid, I, I was not really like that. Um, but we did have a band program. Is that what you were just going to ask me? Yeah. <laughs> So was this elementary, junior high? Elementary school. It was a K to eight school. Okay. And we started band in grade six. Um, we got to choose our top three instruments that we would be interested in playing, and most people got one of their you know first or second choices. The instruments, looking back, I don't think were of super high quality or anything, but they worked and. We had a teacher who was pretty dedicated to making something happen. Right. Um, and I remember most kids, you know, pretty well enjoying their time in the band program there. Um, I had been taking piano lessons for at least a little while before starting band. So I could read music already. Right. So I recall, you know, all the music that we started playing felt pretty easy to me at the time. Um, I remember making up or help helping my classmates figure out the difference between like a half rest and a whole rest. And I told them the whole rest looks like a hole and the half rest looks like a hat, you know, and like I would make up things like that. <laughs> breaking stuff here on the band room <laughs> podcast with Katie Shamara. <laughs> Write that down folks. Write it down. And, uh, yeah. Um, I started playing the clarinet 
I did not like the clarinet. It was, I think it was my first choice or maybe my second choice. I really wanted to play the French horn. Wow, yeah. me too. Yeah. That was my first choice. But I didn't. Yeah, same. <laughs> I think I'm glad that I didn't. I don't know if I would have had as much success with it now yeah. that I've actually learned how to play the French horn and I know how hard it that is. That early bit of affirmation really did it for you. <laughs> it's kept me going. Thank you, but clarinet. I really didn't like the clarinet. Um, but when I got to switch to the bass clarinet, that made me very happy. Okay. Um, it sounded like the Nutcracker. Right, and, okay. <laughs> and Peter and the Wolf. And all these things, and I was a I was a ballet dancer when I was oh. a kid, so I was familiar with those kinds of like classical music right. dancers, um, and so that sound was familiar to me, and I liked it so much more than the clarinet. Okay. I think if our school didn't have a bass clarinet, I don't know if I would have stayed. Stayed? Yeah, I so don't know. That was actually my next question. Yeah. Because you uh, you hear so much of like even uh, I don't think he'll mind me saying this, but my own younger brother. He did not stay in band, uh, but you hear so much of like just numbers going down, mm-hmm. you know, this into the second year, third year of band. So that's what that's what kept you in band. Definitely. Was there anything else besides <laughs> the wonders of the bass clarinet? Well, I mean, I think I really enjoyed music overall, and I think if if my school had had you know a strings program, or if we didn't have a band program, but there was a choir program that was required mm-hmm. for everybody. To, like I think that I would have enjoyed my time in music no matter what it was. Right. Um, I don't know if I would have become a composer if I right. hadn't, you know, had a good experience in band. Yeah. Um, I remember playing. You know, these The Tempest. Yeah, I yeah. do. <laughs> <laughs> so, Old Robert W. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, so that was one of the first like real pieces that we played that wasn't you know a method book kind of a situation and I was bored out of my mind playing all the whole notes so I started just making up my own rhythms but like technically playing this the right notes it was like just a lot of low A's on the bass clarinet yes it's a famous it's a famous part (laughs) yeah um but I just started making up my own things kind of and my my music teacher sort of pulled me aside and and didn't get mad at me just asked me what I was doing and I, I think I, I realized sort of in that moment that I could be creative in a, in a way and sort of get away with it right you know um and yeah I don't know he he encouraged me to audition for the regional arts high school right. um what school was that Unionville High School right. and I didn't necessarily think that I would get in I wasn't taking private lessons in that instrument um the only experience that I'd had playing an instrument other than piano was in elementary school so I didn't have you know a ton of guidance or anything um in that respect but uh he helped me prepare for the audition and um I definitely think that what kept me in band throughout high school was being at that school I did Mm -hmm. get accepted to that school Um, and I I'm pretty sure that they accepted me because of the potential that they saw in me and they could tell that I really loved what I was doing and that I was a quick learner and things like that but looking back on the audition material I probably didn't play it very well (laughs) I'm sure it was great and along with the videos of you playing the piano and singing I'll find this audition video that's it it's gonna ruin your career now (laughs) but um but yeah no we 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 started uh i remember playing holst's first suite yep in grade nine now that's a that's a bass clarinet part yeah those were the first 16th notes that i'd ever played whoa yeah 
Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I think things like that right. sort of kept me in band, kept me interested. I need to like, me. I need to go back and look at your bass clarinet parts now. Yes. Like if there's many, like 30 second notes, <laughs> some kids freaking out, chasing sunlight. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but, but a lot, even before we get to that though, um, during your high school, junior high time, was there any, um, did anyone give you moments or were you given any opportunities in any, let alone composition, but maybe conduct or mm-hmm. to lead in any way? Um, not in the sort of like middle school, right. early junior high type years. Um, I mean, the wind ensemble at my high school was comprised of students from grades nine through 12. Okay. So even all in one ensemble, all in one ensemble. Okay. Yeah. There were several other bands too. There was like a grade nine band, a grade 10 band and, a grade 11, 12 band or something, but right. then there was the Win Ensemble, which was all of the audition students, and so, um, like, all grade 9 through 12. So I think being surrounded by more experienced right. students really early on was a big thing for me. Like, I could hear kids that were only a year or a couple years older than me. You know, I, re- I distinctly remember people playing scales that... I didn't even know existed. I think that I had never played... <laughs> Some crazy Indian music or yeah, something. Yeah, I don't even... Or maybe just like a scale in thirds or something. Oh, okay. I just remember yeah. the first win ensemble rehearsal, like hearing people warming up, right. going, what are they doing? I want to know how to do that. Right. Um, so those are the first kind of things. Um, we did have sort of a leadership program by the time I got to the senior years in high school okay. where we were given the opportunity to work with, you know, the incoming grade nine students and right. sort of help them with things. Um I did have the chance to conduct, I think everybody in grade 10 or 11 learned basic conducting mm-hmm. patterns or something, and we had to conduct each other right. in in our class or right. something like that. Um, I'm left-handed, so I remember it being... Oh. You know who else is? Really uh, also another wind ensemble composer, mm-hmm. Johan Demai is also left-handed. Yeah, but I don't conduct with my left hand, oh, okay. unlike him, <laughs> because I was told that I had to learn how to do it with my right hand, but that I might actually be better at it later on because I'd be able to show things with my left hand the way that right-handed people kind of struggle with what to even do with their left hand because they don't use it for things. Um, So I made myself do it the right-handed way. Way to go. Yeah, same with guitar. Like, when I got my first guitar... I remember at first thinking, maybe I should get a left-handed guitar because I'm left-handed. And then the guy in the store told me, like, no, because then you'll never be able to play anyone else's guitar. Like, if you <laughs> right. if you go to, you know, if you're at a campfire and someone has a guitar, you've learned all these songs, yeah. but they're backwards, you know? So I sort yeah, of... Yeah, it doesn't help if we turn it upside yeah. down. <laughs> That's too bad. <laughs> well, there you Cool. Okay. And mm-hmm. did you have any opportunity in in, uh, in high school to, to compose for your, your um, band? We had some composition assignments, but I don't think that that was what first prompted me to try doing it. I don't really remember, but I wrote a piece for Win Ensemble when I was in grade 11 and sort of just showed my teachers or like told them that I was trying it. And they said, yeah, I mean, if you finish it or or if you finish a, a part of it, you know, we'll read through it so that you can tell what it sounds like but you have to conduct it because, you know, you're the one who knows how it goes. No pressure. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I think those sort of, like, challenges mm-hmm. forced me to follow through right. a bit more than I would have if it was just a completely self-directed thing. Um, so I wrote this piece, 
doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> Burnt all copies. <laughs> no, I think I lost it in, you know, previous uh, computers dying and not being able to be resurrected or something right. like Most that. But, um, but I did. I conducted it at a concert. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, we did some Eric Whitaker and, then, yeah. and we did my first ever piece. And uh, I think it went pretty well. I mean, that was certainly a moment for me when I realized that you know, maybe I could do something with that. Right. And all of my classmates um, were so excited to be playing music by somebody that was in their class, somebody yeah. that they knew, right? And and I loved the feeling of um, hearing that music come to life, played by real people, in front of real people. Right. You know, like, I think that was, that really sparked something. Yeah. And that me. feeling doesn't even go away. No. I think it's so cool whenever I could, like, do one of your pieces... Or that Jonathan's pieces or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and it doesn't go away for me either. Like, it will never get old, that that feeling of, you know, writing a new piece, and then the first time that I hear it played by real people, right? That's very special. Cool. Mm -hmm. And was there a moment that led you to this amazing building that we are in now? Was there a moment (laughs) there, like, that you were said, okay, I want to give it a go, this whole music thing? Um, I think it was around that time, actually, because it was, I was in grade 11, um, when that piece was played by my win ensemble. And I, I think that I might have been considering music at the university level by that point already, mm-hmm. but I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do. Um, I had seen a U of T win ensemble concert at some point at grade 10 or 11 or right. something. Um, a bunch of us from my high school came down together. And some of the pieces that I heard on the program were just mind-blowing to me at the time. Um, even though my high school was playing pretty like high caliber mm-hmm. repertoire, you know, U of T, it was, it was like next yeah. level for me. And to see Jillian McKay conducting, right? Um, I, I was very excited about that, very inspired by that. Um, and I, I don't remember a specific moment when I knew that I was going to do it, um, but I knew that when I came, when I came, I think I came to an open house or something and I talked to Jillian Mm -hmm. and I said, Hey, so I play the bass clarinet and I don't see that on the list of things that I can do here. Yeah. (laughs) And she remembered me from, uh, she was an adjudicator, uh, for the OBA festival at some point. And my school had been playing Lincolnshire Posey in its entirety. Oh, and wow. Uh, including that little bass clarinet solo thing in the third movement. And so she remembered me um, from from doing that. And she said, well, you know, technically you you have to play the regular clarinet, Mm -hmm. but bring your bass clarinet to your audition and tell whoever it is that this is what you actually do. And if there's time or if if they're nice, you know, maybe they'll let you play something on it. And... I did, and she was on the panel for my audition. (laughs) (laughs) So she did let me play a little bit of it. Um, Yeah, and I I think that those, you know, just reflecting on those little individual moments that all kind of came together, um, you know, if if someone had said flat out, no, you can't play that. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I sort of relearned the regular clarinet for the right. purpose of university. Auditions. Having flashbacks of yeah survival of middle school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I almost didn't come here. I thought about a couple other schools. Okay. 
I woke up one morning and thought, you know, I think U of T is the school. Okay. And we're not just saying all these things because we're sitting in U of T <laughs> and they've been good to us. Uh, <laughs> it is how we met, though. And, you know, I'm very yeah. thankful that, that I came here because um, so many of the connections that have yeah. continued to be beneficial to me career-wise yeah. and, and personally, you know, are connections that were made at right. school. So Yeah, it was a, that alumni wind ensemble that I put together, right? Yeah. 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 And yeah. guess what Kate played? The bass clarinet. <laughs> it was some, Always up was some good stuff. But um, we should talk about your time at U of T because uh, people now know you as composer Kate, mm-hmm. as your Instagram says. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that wasn't so much the case when you first got here. Right. You weren't a composition major. I wasn't. I was never a composition major. I have yeah. never taken a composition class in my life. Do you hear that, folks? Um, not that I'm saying that no 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 yeah (laughs) um but yeah I I studied music education um that was part of the deciding factor in coming to U of T as well because they offered the concurrent education program and so um there was there was a time when I thought that being a band director being a music teacher Mm -hmm. in some capacity was the right thing for me to do um and you know, I'd had such good music educators right. in my experience. I, I wanted to be able to, on some level, you know, give back um, to future generations of students. And um, so, yeah, I, I studied music ed. I I loved learning all the other instruments. That was, I think, one of my favorite parts right. of <laughs> my experience, other than playing in wind ensemble, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and although I didn't study composition, I think that the experience that I had studying education actually um, was really, really helpful in me becoming a composer. I mean, I was already a composer, but right. you know, in establishing myself as a composer and continuing to write music that works um, because I had a pretty solid understanding of how all the instruments work because right. I had to learn how to play them, you know? And I think a lot of composers have to deliberately learn those things, like learn, mm-hmm. you know, not only just the ranges of the instruments and, and where they sit, but having the firsthand experience of playing all of the instruments and teaching other people how to play them, learning what the idiosyncrasies are, learning what right. is is particularly challenging about this range or, you know, this mouthpiece or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like things like that that just firsthand experience is so helpful. Um, and learning of course, you know, conducting and rehearsal techniques yeah. and like all of those courses, um, were not only good preparation for becoming a teacher, they ended up being really good preparation for becoming a visiting composer in classes and things like that. So, yeah. Um, But I did, I finished the music ed program. I I thought about switching a couple of times, not particularly to composition, just I think I wanted to have a more well-rounded experience. Mm -hmm. I felt like sometimes it was hard to fit in the kind of courses or things that well, I wanted. Yeah, to and especially at, uh, you know, a big institution like this where um, we have so many streamlined degree options. Exactly. Um, it's it's kind of, it, yeah. and it's so hard, like that first year, like I'm going to be this. Yeah, it's really hard to know what you want to do yeah. at that point. And I think we should let people know that that's okay. Yes. Like it's, you don't, <laughs> you know, yeah, your third, even your third year of university, it is okay if you decide, hey, maybe I want to, not do this at all yes. or maybe I want to do some other aspect of the music field because I'm mm-hmm. personally that's happened to me where I think like five times I've changed my mind yeah. and then I did end up back where I started <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine but yeah. it's, it's an important process to go through and figuring out if it really is what you want to yeah. do and it, yeah I think there's there's no 
there's no shame in changing your mind or right. in not being sure. Um, I mean, it's important to know, I guess, the general oh, realm yeah. that you want to. I'm going to be in, in carpentry, but... <laughs> so I'm going to go do this music degree. Yeah, prob- <laughs> probably wrong, <laughs> wrong program. Um, yeah, I okay. mean, I I did get a couple of my pieces played um, in the student composer concert, okay. but I, I had to um, I had to fight for that. Yeah, and I I know we're in this building right now, but I can be candid about that. Oh, yeah. I mean, they they tend they're to, not sponsoring us. No, okay, <laughs> I mean, understandably, they prioritize the works of students right. who are studying that specifically, yeah. right? Um, but I was like, well, you know, I'm a student and I'm a composer, and this is a concert, so mm-hmm. I have a piece, you know, right. and I I had to sort of advocate for myself in that right. in that way, um, and it was always hilarious because people would hear the piece and then come up to me and say who are you like where did you come from <laughs> over there <laughs> i was over there I'm like oh oh i'm studying education right you know yeah um and part of me wants to go back to all those people and say hey <laughs> Just, look what i'm yeah. doing now okay. you know rub it in their face no <laughs> but no but, just, but yeah, yeah you know just like you said to let people know that it's okay to mm-hmm. to change course or you know, that you can study one thing and end up doing another. Right. You know, you can be a multifaceted yeah. human being. And I think the other aspect of, of what you're kind of saying, uh, and I, and I, people who know me know that I'm a huge advocate of it, mostly because I think we both study with Jillian McKay, but um, like, oh, just whatever you choose to do in the music field, making sure that, you know, you're the best musician that you can be, mm-hmm. like performing musician. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know how many people have actually heard Kate play bass clarinet but it's fantastic and she knows what she's doing and 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 all of these things influence the way that you know she writes the way that she runs and maybe her own clinics so so yeah so no matter what it doesn't matter (laughs) what you choose to do but at least try to practice that's always (laughs) a good thing um but so you're at U of T did all that and then even even after U of T you still continued on the education front. I did. Yeah, I was looking for um, teaching positions, and I was doing some supply teaching, um, private teaching. I still I still teach yeah. private music lessons. Um, yeah, and I I was always a little bit on the fence. I think part of me was, was looking for those jobs because I felt like that's what I should be doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like this is the degree that I have. This is what I studied for. This is what I have all this debt for you know and I, like I should <laughs> um, probably find yeah. a job that can let me pay it back right. <laughs> and um I I think if you had asked me at any point in time from partway through university you know over the next few years after that like what is your dream job like if you could do anything in the world not thinking about money not thinking about logistics or Mm -hmm. anything what would it be my answer would have been to just be a composer right you know and I was already a composer in the sense that I was writing music but dream job level like being Mm -hmm. a composer making a living writing music right right um that's what I would have said but I think I always had in my mind that that was not a feasible option right and so I figured you know I really do love working with young musicians Mm -hmm. I really do love being part of that learning process and and seeing you know the progress from you know earlier in the year to later in the year how the kids have grown as musicians and as people and how they 
form, you know, bonds with each other through music. Yeah. Like, I really, really do love that and have always loved that part of it. So um, I felt that, you know, if I could get a job as a music teacher and be part of that whole world, you know, um, it would still keep me connected um, to the band world. It would still mm -hmm. allow me, you know, to... Um, to write music, potentially to write music for my students, you know? And right. so I sort of kept justifying to myself that it made sense to do that. Right. Even though deep down I knew, I don't, I don't know if I ever really loved that as much as mm -hmm. I should have or something. Yeah. You know, like there were all these other teachers that I would meet at conferences or PD things, or even just friends that, that I had gone through the education program with who would talk about teaching like it was all that they wanted to do they knew that they were meant to yeah. do that and I don't think I ever felt that way about it right. I knew that I was good at it and I mm -hmm. knew that I was passionate about you know music education as a whole but I don't think that teaching in the classroom was like really lit that fire for me right. the way that I observed it in others mm -hmm. but I did it yeah and I did love it and I think you know the kids loved me they yeah. could tell that I was passionate about what I was doing and you know I was always met with really um positive feedback from colleagues and administrators and things mm -hmm. like that so like I was doing everything like on paper right. correctly well I think even <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah but even the, that opportunity um you know well I always call it going through the trenches mm -hmm. and yeah. no matter what we kind of yeah. all of us have to do it at some time yeah. it might not be you know you're not you're not gonna land that dream drop right away mm -hmm. but um I think I, you can answer this, not me. I won't give you an answer. But, but you know, spending that time with those students and just seeing how they talk to each other, how they respond to a piece of music, yeah. that they got, that's probably influenced a lot of your oh, pieces, absolutely. right? absolutely, yeah. And just hearing the feedback from the kids, like, I hate when, when pieces do this or when we always have to do this over and over again. I mean, sometimes those things are things that realistically you just you have to do, right? right. Um, but it's still really helpful for me to know again like I said having first-hand experience playing all the instruments it goes to that next level of right. first-hand experience working with the kids who are playing those instruments and understanding what are the parts of of this whole thing that they enjoy or that are frustrating for them or whatever yeah, yeah. I don't think Ranger had that experience so this is I mean he is, was pretty good at he had many other experiences but, that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's good yeah so what what was the the, the moment that you were kind of like, I'm going to, I'm going to try this full-time composer thing. Yeah. So, um, I was teaching full-time and, uh, I had also been getting quite a few commission requests and I was sort of at this crossroads where I felt like, you know, I should say no to these requests because mm -hmm. realistically I don't have the time to do them or I don't have the time to do them as well as I would like to as well as they deserve you know um but I also felt as though my passion for composing was maybe interfering with my ability to really be giving 100 percent to mm -hmm. my job as a teacher I felt like I was not quite doing a good enough job at anything that I was trying to do you know I wasn't I didn't have all of myself to give to anything I was spreading myself too thin and um, I, I came to, actually, I came to a concert here. Wow, we're talking about U of T a lot, know. but, you know. We're actually wearing U of T t-shirts, <laughs> and, no. 
um, no, it was a Win Ensemble concert here, and I hadn't been to one in a little while, but I thought, you know, I should, should go hear what's going on there. So um, I did, and I met, um, you know, the composer Pete Meekin? Yeah. Yeah, so he was having a premiere here. Okay. And I had never met him before in person. I was familiar with... I just with, met him in May. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's great. I was um, familiar with his music, but hadn't met him in person. So anyways, uh, I met him and you know, told him a little bit about what I was doing and everything. And I was going to go home right after the concert because I had, you know, important work to do or whatever, right. but I was convinced to go out after and talk with, with Pete and right. with Jill and with, you know, all the other people that are there. And something happened that night. I have a note, uh, like a note in my phone, mm -hmm. things that I had typed from that day. And I only rediscovered this note a few weeks ago when I was going through right. looking for something else. Basically, it just, it was like, don't live your life wondering what would have happened if you mm -hmm. did it or something like that. I'm paraphrasing. But right. Pete basically said, like, too many people just go through life doing what they think they're supposed to do mm -hmm. instead of what they really truly feel is is what they're meant to do. Right. You know? And... He was like, do you think that what you're doing right now is actually the best thing that you could be doing? Mm -hmm. I said, no. He said, what do you think truly at your core is the best thing that you could be doing? Not like for anyone else, but for yourself, for the world, for right. however you need to think about that. And he said, you know, don't take this the wrong way, but as a teacher, you're relatively replaceable. As a composer, your voice is completely unique. It is your own. It is a voice that the world needs to hear. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to hear it if you don't put the time in to make sure that we do. Right. You know, and again, probably paraphrasing <laughs> on some level, but, but that's what I took yeah. from it. And I won't give him all the credit, you right, know, yeah, but yeah. It, it was conversations like that right. that got me thinking, you know, yeah, what if I just try this? And right. I talked to a few other composers um, who had been doing this, you know, way longer than I mm -hmm. have. And, and everybody said that they wished that they took that plunge sooner. Right. You know, that they didn't wait so long mm -hmm. to see if they could do it. And um, I didn't want to be one of those people that was like later in life looking back, wishing that I spent more of my time doing what I loved to do. Mm -hmm. um, so... I decided to, and I, I got this big commission from the University of Portland, Whoa, okay. um, and I wanted to be able to say yes to that, right. you know, and so all, it was just a bunch of factors. I was not doing well at that time either. Like I was very, very stressed, mm -hmm. um, physically, like I was getting sick all the time. I was just working myself way too hard, trying mm -hmm. to do too many things and not sleeping. And, um, so I thought, you know, maybe if I give this a go, I can sort of reset, right and restructure my life in a way that actually feels good and let's just see what happens very cool so, yeah. wow yeah. who knew yeah. well you did but i did, I did <laughs> uh, wonderful and then um what was what was the f first piece that you were kind of like okay i can really like i'm gonna continue i think i know what it is but i'm not quite sure i mean okay so chasing sunlight is yeah. um by far the most popular of the pieces okay. that I've written. It's um, being... I'm fairly confident that it's played somewhere every single day. 
it's not performed, <laughs> but when you think about the number of right. bands that are rehearsing at all times, right? Like, especially through the school year, True. I have endless, you know, messages from people telling me that they're playing it at their school. And when I think about how frequently people are rehearsing... I just got a message about someone telling me that they were doing it next really? year. Yeah, because I told them that I was interfering. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, so, I mean, I think that, that that's sort of like the equivalent of an author having you know, a bestseller, right. and then they write all these other things, and they're like, look at all these other books that I have, but all those other books on the cover, it says, like, author of whatever the first thing was, you right. know? Um, I think that Chasing Sunlight was that for me. Right. Um, it continues to be that for right. me. It's it's the piece that a lot of people, um, like, that's the piece that introduces them to mm. me and my music, and right. then sometimes they go on to research the right. other things that I've done. And that's the piece that won the is the Canadian Band Association mm-hmm. Award? Which is now the, the Howard, Howard Cable yeah. Award. But when I won it, it wasn't the Howard Cable Award. Right. It was the Canadian Band Association Composition Competition. Right. I've gotten quite good at saying oh, that. Oh, yeah. So that's, I'm glad they changed it. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, whoever made that decision. It might have been Jason Kassler. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you. Um, no, but thank you to them, really, for, for that yeah. award and everything, because um, that certainly helped to put me on the map. And uh, I don't know if I would have experienced such quick success if right. not for that. I think that, uh, I mean, I can't give that all the yeah, credit. Yeah. The piece was what it was yep. already. And, you know, but certainly in terms of just being more widespread than I could have yeah. made it by myself. Right. Right. That definitely helped. And even uh, in my own research, this isn't, you've, you applied to this composite, this contest or uh, like many times I did. before. I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you didn't give up. I didn't give up. Good. This yeah. is good. Oh, yeah, see, uh, it'll hit eventually. <laughs> it's good. But, okay. Uh, and then um, you you were talking about uh, Pete Meekin, mm-hmm. and he is certainly an example of a, a self-published mm-hmm. composer, and you are an example of self yes. So do you mind talking about that a little bit yeah, and how sure. that kind of works? Yeah. So, I mean, the bottom line is that I, I didn't want to have to give up a lot of money to anyone <laughs> right. else. Right? Yeah, we're too young. We can't... <laughs> can't afford this. I got student loans, you know, <laughs> from this place, so... <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, you have tea. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that I wanted to maintain as close of a connection with the people who are actually playing my music as, mm-hmm. as I possibly could, and, and I thought about how, you know, with publishing companies, there are so many advantages to working with publishers because they help get your music on you know, festival lists mm-hmm. and they can distribute things, you know, more widely and, um, make things look all pretty. And, you know, like there, there are lots right. of advantages and, um, there are things that I have to work extra hard to do by myself because I don't have other people doing mm-hmm. those things for me. Um, that being said, I am the one who sees the names of all of the people who order my music. Um, right. and I get to, you know, I see their email address so I can send them an email and say, Hey, I'm Kate. And, you know, I'm, so thankful that you've chosen to play my music this Mm. year i would love to connect with you and your students you know if you're far away let's set up a video visit or something you know and having the opportunity to connect with you know with the band directors with the students and i think that it's not that i wouldn't be able to do that with a publisher it's just that i feel that i have more control over those kinds of interactions doing it myself um i also get to decide 
when I release new music. Mm-hmm. I also get to decide what I want things to be called or what I want the right. covers to look like. Or, you know, and it's just, it feels like a more authentic mm. um, process for me to just do everything myself start to finish. Mm. Um, I'm happy with that decision. I don't think that I'll ever go back on it. Um, but it has gotten to the point where the administrative side of the work that I do it's, has sort of taken right. over more than I would like it to. Um and so there are some things in the works okay. to um, make my workload a little bit more realistic you've, so that I can You heard it here first, folks. Yeah. She, Katie, looking for a personal assistant. No. <laughs> um, but I, I'm working to, towards a balance that allows me to actually spend more time writing music and, mm-hmm. and you know, right. producing oh, yeah. new content so that there's more music for people to play. Because right. I think ultimately, if I spend my entire day printing all of the music to send off to all the different people who want to play it. Um, once they're done playing that piece, what do they play next? Because I haven't yeah. had time to yeah. write it. You I was know? too busy stapling, yeah. getting paper cuts. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, I could not be creative. <laughs> so, you know, in year two now of doing this full time, right. um, I'm starting to make those kinds of adjustments yep. to my workload, but I'll still always be my own publisher. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, and is, is there any degree of, uh, I call it the hustle, because I, I had a number of years as a freelance, well, I still freelance trumpet player and, mm-hmm. and conducting things, but there is a certain amount of, you know, you have to get out there, you have to send the emails, you have mm-hmm. to be asking. Because, you know, in the beginning, there's certainly no one knocking on our doors. Yeah, um, I, thankfully, um, I don't really have to do that anymore, yeah. um, which is still sometimes surprising to me I still have days where I I wake up and I go how is this working you know uh, am I just have I been dreaming for a really long time and I'm gonna wake up still like in a classroom with a pile of things that haven't been marked yet or something you know and I just dreamt this entire scenario um <laughs> but because it's you know it's quite I'm quite grateful to be in a position where the work comes to me mm-hmm. now um right. and i don't really know how i got to this point but i'm here now and right. i'm happy about it um but I, I do remember you know many many emails going out to lists of of music teachers that i knew that i had met in various places saying mm. hi i'm not sure if you remember <laughs> me but you know now i'm doing this and here's a link to all right. of the music that i have and if you're interested in adding some Canadian content to your programs. You know, I had to come up with all this language to sort of sell the value of my music and convince people that maybe it was worth doing, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, Or same goes for commissions. Like, hey, I'm available for commissions. I'm looking to try some new things and take on some new opportunities. And Mm -hmm. um, I definitely had to do that. Uh, I am a pretty big hustler on social media, um, you do have some good social media game. I, I do, but up. you know, but it took work to get yeah, to yeah. this point, right? And I had to. I built my own website, yep. and I had to, um, you know, try to gain a, a following yep. online by posting regularly. And I've gotten into good practice with it mm-hmm. now, but I definitely did at the beginning, especially have to try really hard to get people to notice what I was doing and right. and to stand out from you know, everybody else who was trying to do the same thing. So, um, and one thing is, I think whenever I hear any of your pieces, I know instantly that it's you. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. And you know, there's, there's, uh, I can count on maybe, maybe both hands 
composers like that. And so I was wondering if you could you could kind of talk. I mean, don't give us full details, but your your kind of your process about how you approach. Sure, specifically for a band piece, or mm, no, but maybe just anything. Okay. Like, do you, unless you do you approach things differently if it's for orchestra or chamber? Or? The only thing that's drastically different is that choral music tends to just sort of fall out of me like okay. really fast. All of the choral pieces that I've ever written have happened so quickly, mm-hmm. and I think it's because. I actually started writing music as a songwriter, like okay. back in the day, like before yeah. I even knew really what concert band music right. was. <laughs> I was writing songs um, at the piano or the guitar. So I think that writing um, songs with words happens mm-hmm. really naturally for me. And so songwriting or writing choral music seems to happen very quickly. Right. So it's its own kind of process. Um, writing instrumental music, particularly band music, I guess, um, I think the process, and I'm still learning what my process is, Mm -hmm. and it's still changing and developing, and I'm still figuring it all out, Um, but I think I tend to start at the piano most of the time. Um, It's the instrument that allows me to attempt to play as many of the parts at once as what I hear in my head. I usually have a concept in mind already, and my brain works way faster than my hands. Mm -hmm. Um, So I get these ideas and I get my phone out. I record everything um, so that I, you know, because I I know that I won't remember. I often have these moments of having a grand idea and I know (laughs) that if I don't somehow document it, it's just going to vanish. Um, So I usually start at the piano with my phone recording and I sing a lot, you know, so there's these awkward voice memos of me like hacking through <laughs> chords going wah, 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 you know and just like trying to get all the parts that are in my head out into reality right. um and yeah i think i think i tend to start with uh with chords mm-hmm. you know and i if if we're looking at like satb i think i would start with the s and the b you know so right. like melodic type stuff mm-hmm. and then the foundation baseline or chord progressions yeah. or whatever I'm going to use and then I fill in the um, the inner lines counter melodies textural things oh, yeah. afterwards um, and I write a lot of it out by hand with pencil okay. uh, not you know yeah. a full score yeah. but every piece that I've ever put out um, there is a handwritten First version edition. of it somewhere that yeah okay um and then I, I moved to the computer at some point, and my setup is pretty cool now. I have two monitors. One of them is a vertical monitor so that yep. I can see the entire score without having to scroll up and down. Right. And that was an investment that I made at some point that was the most brilliant idea in the world because right. I can see all of it. Um, and I have a, a MIDI keyboard that I use to input notes. And, right. um, yeah, I mean... <laughs> I actually, I just finished a brand new piece less than a week ago. Oh, man. And so the process is very... It's smooth and easy, right? (laughs) I was just going to say that it's fresh (laughs) in my mind because I just went through it, especially Mm -hmm. the the end of it. And the the end of the process, yeah, towards the end of finishing a piece is really difficult for me. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of trouble accepting that something is done. Um, right. And I go through many, many phases and many, you know, ranges of emotion with believing in what I've done 
and then wanting to erase everything that I've done and mm-hmm. start over again. Um, the early stage of the process is really fun. Coming up with the idea, writing it all down, singing it, right. you know, letting it become something that is catchy, something mm-hmm. that gets stuck in my head. Like all of those things are really exciting. Towards the end, it gets really hard and, and um Is it kinda of like a self doubt kind of thing? Or? Yeah. Yeah, I start to, especially because often these days, the pieces that I'm finishing are commissions. Right. Um, Particularly this one was a really Mm high-profile commission opportunity. Um, So I start having these moments of going, you know, why did they even pick me for this? What if this piece doesn't live up to the hype? You know, Mm -hmm. what if what I've created is not as good as what they were hoping for? Yeah. Or, you know what if I've lost my authenticity? What if I'm trying too hard? What if I've already written a trumpet solo in another piece and now I have another one? Maybe I should give it to the bassoon instead. I don't right. know. Or the you bass know, clarinet. I, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just, I cycle through, yeah, it's it's like I spiral into this self-doubt mm-hmm. thing. Um, and I eventually spiral back up, you right. know, but I, it's, it's almost like I know myself now that that is going to happen mm-hmm. every single time that I'm finishing a big piece. That is what happens. Okay. Um, yeah. Is and, there anything you do to, you know, spiral up? Yeah. So, um, and actually this is something that I've been working on, um, in therapy. I go to therapy every mm-hmm. week. I think that I'm a big advocate for therapy for everybody. Right. I mean, whether you've been through something traumatic or you're just a person with a lot of thoughts, mm-hmm. I think it can be <laughs> right. really helpful. There's a lot of stuff going on in there. <laughs> Gotta get it out. But one of the things that I've been working on in therapy is um, accepting that not everything that I create has to be the best thing that I've ever created. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things that that I've been stuck on for a long time is, you know, I'm a, a big, like, growth mindset type of a person. I want every new piece that I put out to be better than the last. I want to make sure that I'm really demonstrating growth in everything that I put out and um but what I've been coming to terms with lately is that you know I've set a a list of criteria for myself um to measure whether the piece is okay or not and it's it's things like you know will the people who commissioned it be happy like does it match the occasion for which I was asked Mm -hmm. to write the piece um, is it something that I'm going to be happy to add to my catalog and sell to other people? Does it tell a story that I feel strongly about telling? Mm-hmm. You know, is it something that I, I think will resonate with other people? You know, is it, did it come from a genuine place? And if the answer to all those questions is yes, then I did my job, you know, right. and it doesn't have to be the best thing that I've ever done Mm -hmm. for it to be good enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And so those are the kinds of things that I, I actually have all those things written down. Okay. Um, And when I spiral into that self-doubt mode, I make myself answer those questions. And if the answer is yes, then I keep working. Okay. (laughs) Um, But it's, it's been a long time coming um, to be able to find a strategy out of that that doesn't involve just, actually erasing things right. or like lying on the ground doubting my entire life yeah. why um, why yeah. oh why okay yeah yeah well especially in i hate <laughs> i hate to sound like a grandpa but in today's culture mm-hmm. it's so easy to you know compare be constantly comparing yeah. yourself oh yeah uh 
be it through our social media or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But but thank you for that. It's yeah, I think really no, I mean, helpful I'm, to hear that. I, those I, I log on to you know Facebook and I see all these other people posting about mm-hmm. awards that they've won or oh they're oh, selected to yes, be played here. I know or feels. I'm I'm thankful that now my network online consists of mainly composers and conductors mm-hmm. and, and like minded people, which is amazing. But the flip side of that is that I get to see what everybody else is doing, and yeah. it's hard. It's yeah. impossible not to yeah. compare myself to that. Um, but I have uh, a collection of things in my phone titled "Why You're Not an Imposter." Um, okay. You know, imposter syndrome. Yes. Yeah, and that whole concept of like people are going to figure out that I'm a fraud, that I don't right. know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I have a, an actual album of, of screenshots and things. Mm-hmm titled why you're not an imposter so that when i have these moments of wondering what the heck i'm doing i look at that and it's screenshots of of messages that students have sent to me they're like hi i'm in eighth grade in somewhere minnesota and my favorite piece that we've ever played is chasing sunlight because you gave me a really cool part and i've never done anything like that and keep writing music we all really love it um or a teacher who said something similar Mm -hmm. like we played Lake Superior Suite and, you know, had the opportunity to talk about the meaning behind the fourth movement and right. and why it's important that yep. we play music that is not just music for music's sake, but music that tells a story, mm-hmm. music that makes us feel things. And my students have never experienced anything like that. They're obsessed with your music now. They visit your website right. all the time. They've all followed you on Instagram. Like, thank you for being a role model mm-hmm. for our students. You know, those are the kinds of things that I keep saved, you know, in my back pocket so that when I have those moments, I can look back and go, what I'm doing matters. Right. And people believe in what I'm doing. Right. So I need to keep doing it. Very cool and yeah. very well said. Thank very you. well said. Well, I know that's so true. Even, especially in Northern Ontario, where I live now, mm-hmm. uh, I did... Two of your pieces in the fall, I mm-hmm. think, and uh, you know, there's a number of high school students in, in my college went ensemble, and then I was doing the Northern Ontario Honor Band, and I was, you know, I go to concerts just as a p- participant yeah. to listen, and people come up to me like, "What are we playing in Honor Band? Are, are we going to do one of Kate's pieces?" <laughs> and every, so it just doesn't stop. Yeah. I'm haunted by you, Kate. No, <laughs> Sorry. Kate. I was joking earlier this year that I think if I ever do my dissertation, it's going to be on the music of Kate Nishimura. That would be really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? But uh, but anyway, there's so many wonderful things said today, and I think we'll try to kind of close. Mm-hmm. Um, what's coming up for you? What's next? Is there any any great releases of of your music and and yeah. what's in the works? Um, the piece that I just finished is called Intrinsic Light, and it was written for and commissioned by the Ontario Band Association in celebration of the Ontario Music Education Music Educators Association's yes. 100th anniversary. Oh, this 100. Yes, only 100. Yeah. Um, so I've just finished that piece, and there's a consortium of 44 ensembles mm-hmm. um, that will all have access to that piece in the fall. Um, and yeah, so I'm very excited about that. The premiere will be at that conference, and I'll be there. Yeah, November. Have, and it should be said that it's going to be conducted by another guest of this season, yes. Dr. Jason Castor, who's the uh, director of wind ensembles at Arizona State. Yes. Yeah. So he will be conducting the piece, yeah. which is very exciting. Um, I have several commissions on the go. So like this, the summertime for me, 
Oh, maybe it won't be the summer by the time you air this. Right. Yeah, yeah I think it'll be September. Okay, well, anyways. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Summertime for me is, involves a lot of writing. Um, I'm going to do a bit of a writing retreat in September okay. um, in a, a rural cabin in the mountains. Oh, wow. Get a bunch of writing done. Um, yeah, and doing a lot of school visits this year, connecting with the people that are playing my music, which is awesome. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, there's lots. And where, if people want to stay in touch with you, where, mm-hmm. where can they find you? So my website is katenishimura.com. There is a contact form on there, um, which links to my email. So that'll mm-hmm. come directly to me. That's the whole, you know, self-published luxury is that you actually get through right to the person. Right. Um, you can also uh, follow me on all the social media places. Instagram is at composer underscore Kate. Mm-hmm. Composer Kate. And I should say, you should follow Kate on Instagram especially. You will hear her sing, a beautiful songwriter. <laughs> There's many things. And, and you can certainly hear an influence of your your band music in, in, in those things too. Yeah, so. I post um, progress like updates. Right. You know, when I'm writing pieces, new pieces, I'll post like, I've just written the first theme for this. Or mm-hmm. um, there's like secret piano versions of all the band pieces and right. things like that. So, you know, I, I try to keep it interesting. Um, but yeah, I love to hear from people. Um, I once heard from, actually, I should tell this story. I know it's, it, I'll try to keep it. Oh, no, no. But it's like, a, we have all the time story, in the world. You know? um, there was a, a band somewhere in the States. I can't remember where they were. Um, that had been playing Chasing Sunlight, and uh, one of their students was hit by a car and mm. died. Um, and it was their lead trumpet player who had been playing that trumpet solo right. in the middle of Chasing Sunlight. And uh, the piece, I guess, took on a new meaning for the community. Um, they ended up, the band was asked to perform that piece at the like celebration of life for the student. And when they played at their final concert they gave this big speech like a dedication to the student and um i heard from so many people from that community it became almost overwhelming um people telling me that because i didn't even know that this had happened but it was after i guess the the funeral or the performance where the conductor had said you know this is a living composer she's really out there mm-hmm. and if you were moved by this you know tell her because she's the kind of person who would probably want to right. know and they all listened and so i got <laughs> all these messages from kids saying like thank you for writing music that would let us chase sunlight with our friend one more right. time you know and, yeah. and things like that and i was just a, a wreck i was crying right. so much with all these messages but those are the kinds of things that i i love to hear from people mm-hmm. whether it's something as meaningful as that or it's something like hey i play the trombone like why didn't you give me the melody in this piece? like <laughs> i will actually happily respond right. to any sort of weird inquiry right. um from anybody and uh please tell me if you're playing my pieces right like that's one of the things i've started to print it on the bottom of all of my oh, okay uh parts that right. go out um because I love to keep track of performances whenever mm. I possibly can. I have this big map um, that I've been coloring in as I find out that my music's been played in a different place. And right. I would love to have that whole map filled in. You okay. know? So I, I really do love hearing from people. So Very cool. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. And it's so refreshing 
to talk to a composer who's not writing music just to write music's sake, but really, you know, trying to make a difference in others' lives. Yeah. And, you know, not just like, okay, I got to get the other grade two piece out the door. <laughs> yeah. No, I really approach it like, I mean, professionally, yes, I'm a composer, but mm-hmm. I think the most important thing to me is that I'm actually using composition as a platform right. to, you know, make a, a difference as much as I possibly can mm-hmm. um, in the lives of others and to provide a, an opportunity for people to make connections with themselves and with, with each other, with the world around them, you know, through music. And it's not just about the music, it's about what we can do with the music. Right. Um, and if I can be, you know, somebody that other people look to as an example of what mm-hmm. can be done in in the arts, in the world, you know, that's, that's the most important part of yeah. this for me. So Very cool. Yeah. Well, I always enjoy our conversations so much, and I always learn lots. Good. That's great. And I'm sure, I really hope that, that people listen to this, and they can also learn lots from what we've talked about today. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much, Kate, for thank being you. here and taking the time. Thank you for having me. There you go, the one and only Kate Nishimura. I hope you enjoyed our discussion and can use some of what you heard today and put it into practice this new school year. Thanks again to Kate for spending the time with us in the band room, and a huge thank you to Tyler Greenleaf and the University of Toronto for the use of the space. And thank you to all of you that could stop by. If you want to learn more, I have attached links to the show notes found on our website, www.dylanrookmatics.com slash thebandroom where you can find out more about Kate and the wonderful things that she's up to. If you really like what you heard, make sure to subscribe to The Band Room and give us a rating and a review and tell your friends how much you enjoyed it. If you really love the show, maybe you should consider becoming a patron with Patreon, helping to offset podcast hosting costs and investments into new equipment so that we can continue to bring you great content and great people. Follow us on our social media to keep up with what's on the go. And if you have any thoughts on today's episode or have ideas for future episodes, leave us a comment on our website or even cooler, leave us a voicemail on our new hosting website, anchor.com. And you can find that link in the description of the podcast. Thanks again and see you next time in the band room. (laughs) 